thanks for downloading this podcast from Burghead Free Church in Murray, Scotland. We exist to know Jesus and make Jesus known. Our vision is to grow to be a vibrant all-age church of 100 disciples. Find out more at burgheadfreechurch.org. Who is this coming up from the wilderness like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense made from all the spices of the merchant? Look, it is Solomon's carriage escorted by sixty warriors, the noblest of Israel, all of them wearing the sword, all experienced in battle, each with his sword at his side, prepared for the terrors of the night. King Solomon made for himself the carriage. He made it of wood from Lebanon. Its posts he made of silver, its base of gold. Its seat was upholstered with purple, its interior inlaid with love. Daughters of Jerusalem, come out and look, you daughters of Zion. Look on King Solomon wearing a crown the crown with which his mother crowned him on the day of his wedding, the day his heart rejoiced. This is the word of the Lord. Sorry, what? How much for bacon sandwiches? We were knee-deep in planning our wedding. This was 14 years ago when nobody had heard of COVID restrictions. And we decided that we were definitely going to have a small wedding. Uh, But once we'd started to try and work on the guest list, it, it ended up getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And our small wedding ended up being pretty massive. Uh, We had, I think, a couple of hundred people uh, at our evening reception. And at this point in time, in the planning, we were debating with our reception venue whether or not we were going to provide bacon sandwiches in the evening for our evening guests. Now, of course, you know how these things work if you've ever been involved in planning a wedding. If you were booking bacon sandwiches for a work conference or some other other event they would probably be quite reasonably priced. You'd get a good deal. But, of course, you see, as soon as the word wedding appears, well, two or three zeros seem to get added to the bill. We were having a debate at that moment in time as to whether or not to spend £1,000 on bacon sandwiches. At which point, Morag and I looked at each other and decided that this was utterly ridiculous that this was an immoral amount of money to spend on a bacon roll. Why does everyone hike their prices so much for weddings? Well, I guess the answer, according to the market, is, well, people are prepared to pay. But why are people prepared to pay? Well, because everyone wants to have the ultimate wedding. Everyone wants their marriage to be wonderful and admirable and memorable. Everyone wants the ultimate wedding. But what is the ultimate wedding, I hear you ask? Well, if you went on viewing figures, you'd have to say the ultimate wedding 
is a royal wedding. In the UK alone, 26 million people watched William marry Kate. Plus, of course, tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions more all around the world. The ultimate wedding, everyone knows, is a royal wedding. So much so that royal weddings set trends that we all end up following. So did you know, for example, it was Queen Victoria who popularized the white wedding dress. They actually weren't very common before she wore one. It's in our consciousness, isn't it? The fairy tale wedding is always a royal wedding. It's always between a prince and a princess or a king and a queen, something like that. And there's something of that today in this passage in the Song of Songs, because at long last, we reach the wedding of our two lovers. So here's today's first point, the joy of marriage. Read from chapter 3, verse 6, once again. Who is this coming up from the wilderness, like a column of smoke, perfumed with myrrh and incense, made from all the spices of the merchant? Who's coming? Well, the bride and groom are, it turns out. First, as in any wedding, we see the groom. Verse 7, look, it is Solomon's carriage. Escorted by 60 warriors. So our groom, it seems, is coming in a royal carriage. And not just any royal carriage, but King Solomon's carriage. As Sue read for us that the beautiful description of this sparkling carriage surrounded by warriors and decked out with silver and gold. Now this raises the, the question of the identity of our groom. There are basically two options. Firstly, that we take this literally and we assume that the groom, that the man in the Song of Songs is Solomon, King Solomon himself. And some people take that view. For me, as I mentioned at the beginning of the series, I think there's something else going on here. There's too much, it seems to me, in the Song of Songs which actually clashes with Solomon's life. Most obviously, the song celebrates monogamous married love. And sadly, Solomon's life was characterized by the very opposite. It seems more likely for that and various other reasons that our couple are actually not royalty. They're just common folk, rural working people. So then you might ask, well, why is this imagery of Solomon used? Why make reference to Solomon's carriage and all the rest? The answer, I think, is that here in the song, we are being presented with the ideal couple, the ideal marriage. It's as if the song is saying to us, if you want a fairy tale wedding, if you want the ideal marriage, forget the royals, forget Wills and Kate or Harry and Meghan or Solomon and his many brides. If you want true royalty when it comes to love, look no further than a couple who know and who honor the Lord. A marriage built on the faithfulness of God and on the word of God is the richest and most wonderful match around. That's the way I take it. 
Uh, there are plenty of Bible experts who would agree, some who would disagree, and I, I honestly wouldn't go to the stake for that one way or the other. And actually, it doesn't make too much difference to the way we under, understand the passage either way. Anyway, all eyes have been on the groom, but we all know that at a wedding, as soon as the bride arrives, nobody bothers looking at the groom anymore, and quite right too. So here we go. We're getting towards the very heart of the entire book now. As the bride arrives, the groom bursts into poetry to praise her beauty. Chapter 4, verse 1. How beautiful you are, my darling. Oh, how beautiful. Your eyes behind your veil, see we're at a wedding, are doves. Your hair is like a flock of goats descending from the hills of Gilead. In fact, the man will go on to praise seven different parts of the woman's body. Eyes, hair, teeth, lips, temples, neck, breasts. And you may know that in the Bible, number seven is often used symbolically to represent perfection or completeness. The point is that he adores her completely. To him, she is completely Wonderful. Mind, body, soul, the works. Remember as well that, uh, that in Hebrew poetry, the, the imagery is more metaphorical than literal. So when he says, your hair is like a flock of goats, women today might not take that so well. Uh, gentlemen, a bit of advice. If you want to tell your wife or in fact any other lady that she looks like a goat, it, it might not go well for you. But here that the goats are descending from the hills. His meaning in a metaphorical way is that she has beautiful cascading hair. Anyway, this is the moment our lovers have been waiting for. Remember, they, they long to be together. They take great delight now. Their marriage has finally come. And so let me ask you, if you are married, do you still take delight in being married? The flushes of first romance may be a thing of the past. The memories of your wedding day may well have faded, but is there still love? Is there still devotion? Is there still appreciation? Here we see the joy of marriage. But secondly, not to put too fine a point on it, we see the joy of sex. Let's not beat around the bush. We all know what the bride and groom have been waiting for, not just for the wedding day, but frankly for the wedding night. They want to get down to business. Now, he speaks in euphemisms, but his meaning is clear. I won't spell out all of the, the anatomy. I'm sure you can read between the lines. He says, verse 8, come with me from Lebanon. Descend from the crest of Amana." From the top of Senir, the summit of Hermon. Verse 10, more pleasing is your love than wine. Verse 11, your lips drop sweetness as the honeycomb. My bride, milk and honey are under your tongue. Say no more. Actually, I, I will say a bit more because... There is in verse 11 not just erotic poetry, although we need to be straightforward, it, it is that. There's also a reference to the promised land. 
Remember the land that God promised his people in the Old Testament was a land flowing with milk and honey. And so here, the groom picks up on that idea, milk and honey. He's saying that his, his woman's body is like a promised land to him, a land he wants to explore. The Song of Songs is not pornographic, it's not needlessly, gratuitously explicit, but it is candid. I think we can read between the lines and say they had sex, lots of sex, and they really enjoyed it. Sex is like a promised land for them. But for too many people in our culture today, Sex is not a a desired promised land. Instead, it's a desolate, pornified landscape. For too many people, sex hasn't brought feelings of joy. It's brought feelings of guilt for the way we've misused it. Or a sense of shame because we've used this gift in ways that God has Forbidden, or because other people have abused us in ways that God has most certainly forbidden. The truth of marriage is that godly marriage is a place where sex can be good, where it can happen in absolute security, where there is no guilt and shame. And we need to hear that today because sex for so many people has been ruined by our culture, ruined by pornography, or ruined by the heartbreak of of multiple sexual partners, or by multiple sexual partners breaking up with you, or spilling secrets, or by kids who've shared explicit pictures on their phones only to have them shown off to their classmates or plastered on the internet. Or sex has been ruined by abuse or ruined by cheap hookups through dating apps. Sex for so many people in our world has become cheapened. A source of guilt and regret and shame. And we need to say to people and to our young people, there is a way for sex to be brilliant. There is a place that sex can come in complete security and trust with no shame and no worry and no guilt. And that place is marriage. Notice that in the song at this point, there's a change in the way that the man speaks about the woman. He begins again and again to call her his bride. Verse 8, verse 9, verse 10, verse 11, and verse 12, to name just a few. He also begins to repeatedly call her, did you notice, mine. So she now becomes my darling, verse 7, and my bride, verse 8, my bride, verse 9, my sister, my bride, verse 9, my bride, again and again. He is picking up on the truth that the woman spoke. We saw it last week in chapter 2, verse 16, which says, My beloved is mine, and I am his. Husband and wife give themselves completely to one another. Belong totally to one another. This is a a totally self-giving, complete union. 
just as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 4, the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do you see? Two really do become one. One Bible commentator describes sex this way. He says, an inexplicable act of mutual possession, passion, and submission. I give my total self to you, and you give your total self to me. Marriage is the only place where a man and a woman belong to one another sexually, which is not a license for abuse, but an invitation to paradise. Notice again, this kind of intimacy is only for marriage. Look at verse 12. He says about her, You are a garden locked up, my sister, my bride. You are a spring enclosed, a sealed fountain. In other words, this imagery is so helpful. Their bodies are not public parks for anyone to peruse. But instead, they are private gardens, only for husband and wife to enjoy. And they do enjoy themselves. The end of chapter 4, chapter 4, verse 16, and the start of chapter 5, chapter 5, verse 1, they represent dead center of the whole poem. Hebrew poetry often does this. It places the most important stuff right in the middle And here we have the woman inviting the man into her garden, so to speak. And he is delighted to enter. And at this point, there are 111 lines of poetry before this and 111 lines of poetry after it. And here, right dead center in the middle of the book is the joy of sex in the context of lifelong marriage. So is the Bible or is the church anti-sex? No. We are as pro-sex as you can be in that we want it to be had and enjoyed as it is meant to be enjoyed. We want the real deal, the real joy of sex, not the shame and the guilt and the regret. And so sex is for marriage and marriage alone. So if you are married... Do you value sex in your marriage? Or has it died on the vine? This is good instruction, I hope, for those of us who are married. But what about everyone else? Well, number three, it's important to say something as well about the joy of singleness. Now, with all this talk of marriage in the Song of Songs and elsewhere in the Bible, if you are single, you are bound to ask, is singleness second best? And we must be really clear, and we've not always done a good job of this in the church, we must be clear that to say marriage is good, which it is, is not to say that singleness is bad. Which it isn't. Far from it. In fact, the Bible is is quite unique in the way it presents such a positive case for singleness. According to the Bible, God calls some of us 
to marriage. And marriage has its joys, yes, but let's be realistic. It has its serious challenges as well. And God calls some of us to singleness. And that too has its joys and its unique opportunities as well as its challenges. Both are designed by God. Both are callings from the Lord. Both can and are used by God in his plans and purposes. In fact, the striking thing, it seems to me, about the New Testament is the number of occasions on which, upon which the benefits of singleness are spoken about. If you're single, don't believe our culture when it tells you that a life without sex isn't worth living. Believe the Bible when it says a life of singleness can be very fulfilling and used by God for great good. Don't believe the culture when it says a life without sex isn't worth living. Instead, look to Jesus. Again, the fullest, most perfect, most completely human man who ever lived And yet he never had sex. But his life was in no way impoverished. He is the model of true humanity. Philip Ryken says this. We remember too rarely that of all the major monotheistic religions, only Christianity affirms singleness as a distinctive calling and gift within the community of God's people. Christianity does this because the Bible does it. Single people are not second class in the story of salvation. The clearest proof of this is Jesus himself. And can I say a word to you in our congregation or in Elgin or wherever you are, if you're a Christian who is married, be careful about the way you speak to single people. Don't speak to them in a way that implies their singleness is second best. Don't go around asking single people when they're going to get married. They're a bit sick of hearing that. God maybe is calling them to singleness and that's not second best. And we who are married need to remember that. Singleness brings sacrifices, yes. But so does marriage. So we see the joy of marriage, the joy of sex, the joy and the purpose of singleness. But lastly, as we've seen every week and perhaps most importantly, the joy of God. Listen again to Philip Ryken. He says, remember that the Song of Songs is not only or even primarily about sex. It's more about love. It's not merely about love for another person either. At its deepest level, the Song of Songs is about the soul's love relationship with the living God. And so you might well ask, or you should ask, well, what does this passage about a wedding have to do with our relationship with the Lord? Good question. Well, what did we see here in this passage? We, we pictured the bride, perfect in her beauty, spotless, pure, wonderful, perfect, brilliant in the eyes of the groom. 
And that is a reminder that we, the church, God's people, we are being prepared as a bride for Christ. That's our destiny. Our destiny is to be a pure, perfect, spotless, beautiful bride to be eternally in relationship with Jesus. Revelation 21 verse 2 says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God." Do you see, we will be a bride, perfect in holiness and eternally united to Jesus. And then there's Ephesians 5 verse 25. In fact, we're going to come to this in a few weeks' time in our morning studies in Ephesians. Paul there says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish but holy and blameless. Our destiny as Christian people, as the church, is to be without blemish, holy, spotless, pure and blameless. A bride who is fit for Christ. Now when you think of who we are. And the way our lives are stained by sin. That's an amazing thought isn't it? And maybe you feel that there's no way that you could ever be a pure and spotless bride ready for Christ. You think of all the things that you've done that have stained your life with sin, perhaps sexual sin, the, the way that you have misused God's good gift of sex and it's stained and ruined your relationship with sex and with God and you feel so dirty and unclean with that sin or, or many others. Well, when we feel that way, and we should feel that way because we are stained with sin, We look to the cross. Jesus came to wash us, to cleanse us. Though our sins are like scarlet, through Christ they're made white as snow. When God looks upon us, he doesn't see the stain of our sin, but the perfection of his son. That is our legal status before God. But now, if we belong to him, if we've trusted in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, we receive Jesus not just as our saviour, but also as our Lord. And as our Lord, he will purify us. Sanctify us is the Bible word. Make us more and more like himself. That is a task that begins now. And it matters now. It's a task, yes, that's empowered by the Holy Spirit. We don't do it alone. But the New Testament is also clear. We have a role and a responsibility to make effort.
effort to strive with God's help and in the power of his spirit to change. More and more to put off our old ways of living and more and more to put on new, holy, blameless, Christ-like ways of living. That is important. We are getting ready to be the bride of Christ. What place for there is sin in the bride of Christ? Not at all. Now, of course, this is not a process that is yet complete. There is still sin that dwells in our hearts and stains our lives. We still need to repeatedly look to Christ in repentance and faith for the forgiveness of our sins. And yet, as day rolls by into day, into week, into month, into year in the Christian life, God calls us and commands us and empowers us to change. To be more and more a bride fit for Jesus. Until at last we are caught up to meet him in the air and we are transformed to be like him. For we will see him as he is. And we will live forever in ultimate satisfaction. In a relationship of love with God himself. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, it is wonderful to think of the way you wash us and cleanse us as we look to Christ. We pray that in the power of your spirit, you would go on changing us. Lord, that we would be engaged in this task of being changed to be more like Christ to be presented as a pure, blameless bride for an eternal relationship of love between Christ and his people. Amen. Thanks again for listening. Please feel free to share this podcast. And if you'd like to be up to date with each week's talk, why not search Burkhead Free Church on your favorite podcast app and hit the subscribe button. For more information, go to burkheadfreechurch.org.